You're listening to episode 102 of Caucasus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm your host, Eli, and welcome back to the show as we get into our triple digits. Feeling old, Andrew. We're going to be in the triple digits a while, Eli. Uh, that, yeah, that's a good point. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of feeling old in the triple digits, I have to tell you about a book that I was recently given, and I was just thrilled. I mean, you know, right. when you when you live and work in the in the North Caucasus, there's kind of, kind of a corpus, you know, there's a canon of of books. And Ian, on our interview with uh, with our faithful listener and sort of like <laughs> scholar in residence, Ian, episode seventy nine, yeah, A and B, he took us through books from the top to the bottom, like kids' books up to you know books that make PhD weep, PhDs weep. But um, <laughs> so you kind of know what's out there. Well, I was given this book. I have no idea where my friend found it um, that I'd never heard of. And here it is. It's called How to Live to Be 100, The Lifestyle of the People of the Caucasus. What? By Sula Bennett. What a great book. 1976. So this woman <laughs> researched – all right, pref, all right uh, ca- uh, caveat, disclaimer – I don't know anything about her as a scholar, as a whatever. Because she makes some claims in here, and it could be people like, ah, oh, old Sula, she's on crack. Like, everyone's discredited her or something. I don't – or it could be that this is just, you know, still stands. I, I trust that she did good research. So this is about – Where does your friends find I don't find know, this? and I should find out. But this is on longevity. This is, a, uh, this is research in a field called um, – Oh, she uses a word. I see if I can find it. Um, but it was like longevology or some like crazy word like that. Wow. So yeah, and it just starts off with um, uh, a trip she she takes into the mountains of Abkhazia to meet a hundred thirty nine year old woman. <laughs> you know, just normal day in the Caucasus. Normal day in the Caucasus, right? And she strolls up, and the lady like. Lights up a cigarette and, you know, <laughs> brings her in her house and like climbs a tree. I was just like this, you know, and she always takes this lady who's 139 would always take baths, would always bathe in the ice cold stream running down by her house, like a hundred yards from her house. And everyone's like, it's tip number one, tip number one, except <laughs> finally at age, I think 141, she uh, caught a cold and died. <laughs> <laughs> I oh mean, really goodness. though. What like it was like February, and she took you know took her bath in the in the stream. Um, but <laughs> but I just I just delighted that this is someone taking you know taking these folks seriously. And of course, there's like some questions, and maybe it, there's some dubious. Is it is it like how is it structured? Are there like. 25 ways you can be sure to live it's to 100. I want to hear it, some, it's, some of the tips. I mean, tips. it's, it's a, an anthropological, it's, it, it's an ethnography of, of old age. So it's, there's an intro and then it's the land and its people. There's demo, a de, demographic, demography of longevity, the concept of old age, the ecological huh. zones and differences in male, female. Um, there's hosting, folk medicine, uh, diet, of course, a lot on diet. Do they all eat yogurt? That's the name of the chapter. 
there's issues of shame and privacy. I, I was going to say that they, there's one answer to this question, and it's, it's Iran. Like, that, that's how you yeah, live to right. be 100. Family, life rhythms. So it's really looking into uh, Caucasus peoples. And I don't know how widely she um, – I haven't gotten far into it, you know, how broadly she – strays in terms of what's caucuses, if it's north and south and so on. Um, but I just have to um, just read. I mean, some of these sentences are like crazy. It should be noted that cases of extreme longevity in the caucuses have been observed by the most prominent Russian. Oh, there it is. Gerontologist. <laughs> Studying ger- geriatrics, I guess. In 1904, oh, yeah, geriatrics. the father of modern Russian gerontology, I.I. Mechnikov met a Georgian woman reported to be 180 years old in the city of Gori. In 1937, A.A. Bogomolets, founder of the world's first institute of gerontology, (laughs) personally investigated 12 Abkhazians from 90 to 142 years of age and found no pathological organic changes. M. Sultanov, a professor of gerontology and medicine in Baku, personally interviewed and examined 13 persons from 131 to 167 years of age in Azerbaijan, nine oh. persons, 131, 140, three persons, 141 to 167, and one 167-year-old man. So I oh know goodness. that, like, a lot of people are clicking their tongues and, like, obviously that's not true, but why is it obviously not true? All right. Eli, I know it was 1976 this was published. Is there a snail mail address or something we can write and see? Yeah, we got to do some. This author's still alive? We got to do some research into this and find out. This is definitely worth an episode. Sula Bennett, wherever you are, we want you on the show, (laughs) number one. Number two, dial press. If you guys are reputable, we want to talk to you. If not, you're probably out of business. So, but. (laughs) Where, where Where were they based out of in 1976? New York. New York, man. So, All right. Let's get to this. You have to assume that she applied the lessons she learned and is probably still alive. <laughs> the proof of your research will be if <laughs> you have survived. I don't know how old she was when she did this, but all right. That is so awesome. So, I wish my friends would give me books about the Caucasus. I'm not sure that's ever happened. It's about who you know, Andrew. Hey, I'm your friend, but you're not getting this book. At least until I'm done. I'll send it to you and But I don't even think you've given me a book about Uh-oh. the Caucasus. Eli. No. <laughs> You you have you predate me, man. You like read all the books. You read every night. I read every month. So we have a. I gave you, I gave you in who gave you the books. Um, Okay, Eli, that was awesome. Um, We have a great guest, a fellow American. Wow! The studio today. In our own Um, words. Welcome to the podcast, Teddy from Nalchik. Woo! Welcome, Teddy from Nalchik. Not. Not really. He's not from Nalchik, to be fair. I mean, Teddy of Nalchik. Of Nalchik, maybe, right? <laughs> there you In go. Nalchik. Yeah. Welcome, Teddy. Thanks. Glad to be here. Teddy, um, it's good to have you here on the show. Um, give us a brief overview of the time you've lived uh, in Kabardino-Balkaria, what you were doing there, and then I'm going to tell a story of how we met because it's a good one. Yeah. Um, so I moved to Nalchik in 20, uh, early 2019, I guess. And, okay. uh, yeah, moved there, um, to, uh, help with a, a small business, uh, climbing gym, coffee shop. Uh, I love climbing, uh, really passionate about the sport and seeing it grow. And so when I heard about the opportunity to go help a, 
a small climbing gym. Um, I, I jumped on it and moved out there and I lived there for awesome. uh, about two and a half years before I came back to the States for COVID reasons. <laughs> so, now I, yeah. I got to ask you're from Minnesota, right? Yeah. And I love this. I descend from Minnesotans. Uh, it's not really known for its rock climbing at all, at least to me. So how did you get into rock climbing in Minnesota or was it not in Minnesota? Uh, it Technically it wasn't. I got into climbing in Arkansas. So uh, yeah, I don't know. So was that the Ozarks? Yeah, in the Ozarks. So I spent a few months down there. Um, yeah, that's a different story while I was down there. Okay. But uh, what what kind of rocks are in, are the Ozarks? What are ooh. they? Granite, granitic? Are they sandstone? I think oh, not sandstone. I think if I remember Limestone? right, it was a lot of sandstone actually. Like I think Horseshoe yeah. Canyon Ranch is like all sandstone. Like I said, it's definitely sandstone. Like bulletproof sandstone. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Now we know. Is the Ozarks are the Ozarks where the movie and the book Where the Red Fern Grows was based? Yes. I don't yes. Know. That 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 movie as a child, I would weep <laughs> every time I watched it. You watched when the, the movie before the, you read the book? I'm not sure I ever read the book. Maybe yeah. my mom read it to us out loud, right, but that's, one that's of those, my childhood memory of the Ozarks. I don't know, man. That's invaluable to me. I don't think think you're allowed to even see the movie if you haven't read the book. Our, Maybe we did. Our 10-year-old son just – that was the first book I remember crying at. I remember where I was when I finished the book. And we just gave it to my 10-year-old. Speak, and he's – you know, it's not like these, you know, action-packed fantasy books that are just – like, you know, cartoons in a book form. And so it took a little bit to get into. And then, like, the next day he comes down like, Mom, I finished the book. <laughs> <laughs> He's crying. <laughs> so sad. It's a great story. Wow. All right. So you you're, you guys are already digging into uh, details about <laughs> rock climbing. I know nothing about the types of rocks. Um, Eli, I knew Eli was going to love this interview we landed because Eli himself is a climber. Um so Teddy, I want to share this story. Um, it's happened to me several times, and you guys have probably experienced this too, but when you're a Westerner in the North Caucasus, there's not many of us who have lived or live in the region at the same time. And so it's inevitable you'll meet someone for the first time and they'll say, oh, do you know this person, you know, so-and-so in this city? And then they'll start talking to you about them. And um, that's happened to me a lot uh, about, do you know this American in this city? Or, you know, do you know these uh, Englishmen in this city or whatever? Um, But uh, Teddy, I started hearing about you from some of my friends who are climbers who work at Elbrus. And I I think you met them there on the mountain. Um, But they would see me every couple months and say, have you met Teddy yet? He lives in Nautic. (laughs) I mean, years of this, literally, and uh, finally someone connected us. Um, and also about this climbing gym you worked at. Every trip I make to Nalchik, um, people will, when they find out an American, say, oh, do you know those guys at Onsite? Their gym is so awesome, like always speaking well of it. So um, anyways, it's it's great to have you on the show. Uh, people always had good things to say about you um, and nice. meeting you at the tops of very high mountains. <laughs> Um, good place to meet. Yeah, that's right. So tell us a little about, um, on site and this climbing gym, uh, because it really has a good reputation there in Cupertino, Bulcoria. Yeah. Um, so 
It was started about four years ago, and I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> um, there's a couple other guys living there who, yeah, wanted to, um, yeah, wanted to start something different in the city. And so one of the guys was a, a rock climber. The other guy was more of a, a businessman, um, loved coffee. And so, um, yeah, in partnership with some locals, uh, they started this like climbing gym, coffee shop, community center uh, called Onsite. Oh. And so, uh, they, yeah, they started that. Like the idea um, was maybe conceived like four or five years ago. And then I think like October... 2018 it uh it opened um and so yeah and so then i i kind of um got on board a few months after that and um yeah and then so ever since then we've we've um, been in business and um yeah so it started out they they did all the construction on their own um some of the things they like hired out um locally but uh they built the walls and um, the climbing walls and, and the coffee shop and, and everything. So, but there was cool. like leftover like machinery and stuff in the warehouse. As yeah, I yeah. So it's yeah, it's in an old warehouse and yeah, like uh, leftover like conveyor belts and things like that. <laughs> um, for those who want a less challenging climb, you may yeah. opt for the conveyor belts approach. Yeah, I can't remember exactly <laughs> what it was, but they have these like big conveyor belts that are like on the yeah. ceiling. They're right. not even conveyor belts, actually. They're more like no, hooks. No, they're, they're like, yeah, they're, hooks that would carry whatever, yeah. ingots or something across the floor. And I can't remember if they might, you might still be able to use them. You just have oh. to do some some electric work, probably. There you go. So, I mean, we have stuff like built onto them structurally. So they're pretty okay. strong. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. So. That's great. So uh, this kind of climbing gym uh, community center was started. Um, so for our listeners, just so you know, as far as I understand in all my travels in the region, cupertino Balkaria, this republic in the central Caucasus, it really in Russia is like, kind of like the mecca of rock climbing. It's where the best um, you know, natural opportunities to do that outside are. But as far as I know, was there a climbing gym in cupertino Balkaria, or even throughout the Caucasus before this gym was built. Do you know about that? Yes, there were. So like there, there've always been like little, um, like little climbing walls in schools or, um, like basements, you know, or like, you know, small rented out spaces. And so I, I think our climbing gym though, was probably one of the first, like more commercial, style climbing gyms um where we were trying to reach out to the the community as a whole um rather than a space for like the you know the stronger or like elite climbers to come and train so Uh i think that's a good point the soviet i think the soviet era alpinist climbing mentality is very different from the commercial climbing entrepreneurial kind of approach from the u.s and i say that just from a few data points when i was single i spent time in central asia in kazakhstan and i remember someone you know i was just getting into climbing and they said oh there's a climbing gym i'm like oh sweet (laughs) and there there was but it was you know 
It was just a huge wall that was painted like bright green and yellow and just a detail, you know, kind of poor lighting and a couple ropes. And then from the floor to the 15 foot ceiling, you know, there are eight or 10 handholds. Like it was just one option. You just go up and then come down and go up and come down. And the, and a lot of the handholds were little chunks of two by four that were just bolted in the wall. You kind of grabbed on. Uh. So it's sort of like, and I'm not disparaging it for what it was. It, you know, it's, they used what they had and they loved it. And, but like the people who were there were like climbers and that's what they did. And uh. they were in this sort of subculture. And people may feel that way about climbers anyway. Um, my <laughs> second experience of that was in Pitigorsk when we had heard about on-site in Nalchik an hour and change away. And we're like, oh, we got to go visit. But then I heard our university had a climbing wall. And I went to the climbing club, and it was just what you described, Teddy. I went into the basement of a dorm. I was like, how is there a climbing gym in here? And it was basically a <laughs> repurposed, like, six, six and a half foot tall hallway. Yeah. Long wow. basement hallway, and one wall had, had holds on it. And so you would just go laterally, like, bouldering, and there's some pads and stuff. And it was this little like Dungeness subculture. When you wow. when you go to on site, you're in a big, tall, well lit gym. It's nicely there's cool decor. There's couches and you and you know dozens and dozens of routes on the wall from beginner to expert. So just a very different kind of yeah feel. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> Eli, I always wondered how is there a climbing gym in the basement of that dorm? <laughs> I never went in it, <laughs> but always passed by it. Now it makes sense. <laughs> You just climb to the side yes. sideways. Yeah, and it's good for training. Um, it is, but it's very different from I don't know. I think the the appeal of a like a climbing gym that we're used to in the U.S., which is much more yeah. versatile. So Teddy, with on site, then was the focus more on really introducing people to the sport, children, um, kind of various levels of, of of skill, accommodating to everyone. Yeah, so. I think, I mean, it's, I I would say in the beginning, um, it was maybe more for the, yeah, the, the climbers that we had and then trying to expand and, you know, uh, develop the sport and find more people. And, uh, and so I I feel like that's changed though, to really trying to create a product that an advanced climber can come train and, and get stronger. And then someone who's really new, who's never climbed or like kids, they can come in and, and not just like climb on like, uh, like a ladder, but like climb on, on routes, you know, and, and climb and like learn technique and things like that. So, so I would say that's the, that's kind of the vision of, of our, our route setting. And so like the, the, the routes that we create, the, um, the, yeah, the, the climbing paths that we create are designed for, yeah, helping strong climbers get stronger and then help, you know, people who've never climbed before get into the sport um, and teach them technique. Uh, so, yeah, but then just as a whole, like the the center was definitely created as a place to like create community and like, like that's what the coffee is oh. all about. And that's what, um, like, it's more than just a, a climbing gym. Um, and so that's what I really like about it. Can you unpack that a little bit? I'm really interested, Teddy. How is it more than just climbing? How, in what ways have you seen on site and the gym there uh, 
foster community in Nalchik? Yeah, so a couple ways. Um, we so we do like English clubs. So we have uh, a couple local English teachers who actually like put on an English club, uh, and then oh, cool. we have one employee who is doing an English club as well. And so like the the space that we have for coffee and, and like the coffee shop um, area is is great for that. Um, and then really I like we put on events probably once a month, like whether it's a New Year's party gotcha. or uh, end of the summer party or whatever um, we put on uh, or yeah, Christmas parties. We put on uh, events all the time and they're, they're like the coolest events in the city, in my opinion. Like <laughs> they are sweet. Wow. Um, and so we, I just feel like as a, um, as a, a staff and a team, like we just do a really good job of putting on um, well thought out fun events yeah. for the community. And so uh, those are two um, big ways that I feel like we foster community. Yeah, um, great. And then we have like climbing competitions and, and different things like that. Um, but that that draws in more than just Nalchik. It it draws in people from all over the country. So, oh wow. Yeah. Well, I mentioned before awesome. before our interview. I don't think you were here, Andrew, but a friend of mine in Pitigorsk who's friends with climbers sent me video the other day. I didn't even know we were having this interview, but of on site climbers like their team at some regional competition. You know, huh. being announced and all that. So it's it's a uh, it's in the competitive realm, so that's very cool. Yeah. Uh, so, Teddy, I would probably fall in the category of people who would attend an event at on-site because of how cool it was, but really know <laughs> nothing about rock climbing. Um, I will say I did it once uh, with some friends and learned a lot. But So I, I'm interested. Because I work at Mount Elbrus, we run mountain climbs there. I've learned a lot about that kind of whole sphere of sport and being in the mountains, but I've learned these different terms that have to do with rock climbing, but I really don't know the differences. Can you kind of walk us through maybe five minutes of the different kinds of climbing that there is? Uh, and then we'll get into where you can do that in the region, but things like bouldering, canyon, canyoning, um, I mean, rock climbing, that term, even mountaineering people might think is involved with climbing, but basically when you're going up the rocks on your hands, tell us some of the Walk us through the progression, beginner to more more expert. Uh, yeah, okay. I will try to do that in five minutes. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's pretty simple. Uh, I like there are three kind of three main types of climbing. Um, there's there's bouldering, uh, which is climbing without a rope, short distances, like no more than okay ten to fifteen feet. Um, or roughly like three to four gotcha. meters. So that's bouldering. And with that, you have like a, a pad underneath you. So like a soft mat uh-huh. that you can fall onto. Um, and then usually you have someone like spotting you to make sure you don't like hit your head on something. And so that making sure that you like right. fall onto the pad um, so that okay. your pad is like your, um, your like safety, your like Strahovka, your, your safety mat. Um, gotcha. And then there's, kind of like two types of roped climbing. Um, there's okay. the type of rope climbing where you, where someone starts on the bottom and they, they like bring the rope up with them to the top 
and then they hang the rope up from the top and and then they can be like lowered down um, and that's called gotcha. lead climbing and then uh-huh. the other type of climbing is like top rope climbing and so that's probably what you've if you if you if you have climbed with a rope that's the kind of climbing that you've probably done where you tie in at the bottom you have a belayer you have a person who's holding the rope for you um and as yep. you climb up they take out slack in the rope when you get to the top they lower you um and so there's like the three main types of climbing uh as far as like canyoneering like i wouldn't i wouldn't put that into the category of climbing um i would put that you only go downhill on that one yeah that's like a category of its own (laughs) um and then as far as yeah mountaineering goes that's also kind of a category of its own um right but but in mountaineering you would maybe it's more like a mixed sport where there may be yeah like alpine climbing is sort of like a you use some skills from the wall, even though very little of it would be wall climbing or at that, you know, uh, level of difficulty Mm -hmm. maybe, but you're still using a lot of, you know, there's a lot of overlap, wouldn't you say? Plus a ton of other skills. I don't know. Yeah. Plus a ton of other skills. Mountaineering (laughs) is like, it's like backpacking, rock climbing and like ice climbing and like climbing on snow and like all of that sort of mixed together. Yeah. 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 Um, right. So, yeah. Cool. Okay. So, uh, as far as I understand, Kabardino Balkaria is the mecca for this sport in Russia. Spe- not the Caucasus as a whole, but specifically Kabardino Balkaria. Can you walk us through, like, where are some of the go to places when uh, Russian climbers or people from the Caucasus go to the mountains to climb? Where do they go to do these different sports? Yeah, I'm. Uh forgetting some of the names (laughs) of the places um but there is i want to say so there's a place aldersu aldersu what is it uh or adilsu i think adilsu adilsu Um, so that's a valley parallel to mount elbrus yeah it's kind of perpendicular to to elbrus baksan valley probably 25 minutes before you get elbrus so there's there's Quite a bit of climbing there. Um, okay. Uh, there's a, a place called Bezengi. I'm sure you've heard of that. Um, yes. So like the Bezengi yeah. wall is like this famous wall. Um, and there's a lot of... That's for serious like le- top rope climbing. That's right? like serious mountaineering, like alpine climbing. Yeah. Okay. Um, mm. I've never been there. Uh, I've never had a, a pass to go there. Um, Propusk to go there. Yeah. Um, so both those places you just mentioned, those are in the border zone. So if you're a foreigner, you got to get yeah, the special permit. Yeah. Um, and Bezengi, isn't Bezengi kind of where the like Soviet alpinist camps were like yeah. mountaineering camps where they would do training and certification. Yeah. Um, and I'm not like super familiar with, with a lot of that because I've focused gotcha. most of my time in a place called Lechinkai, uh, which is up the Chigan okay. Valley. And, uh, we, so it was discovered maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Like 2000, 2011, somewhere around there, 2010, 2011. Um, 
And a lot of Russian, the Soviet um, alpine climbers were going there a lo- like a long time ago, mm-hmm. like before like the 80s. They were going there. They like they like put bolts in the rock and they like they did a lot of alpine things um because it yeah just had these big like 200 foot cliffs and um so they Hmm. they would practice climbing there and and different um alpine kind of technique stuff uh but then later there's a foreigner living in nalchik who uh he him and his family would like go and like explore and one day they like wow. drove up this random dirt road and they got to the end of the road and there are these 200 foot cliffs like right in front of them. Huh. Um, like I have a picture of that. You turn, you like literally like turn, turn on this road. And like the first thing you see is this like huge cliff just right in front of you. Um, hundred to wow. 200 foot cliff. Um, and so he started like going out there and like discovering things and started bringing locals um, and then found um, found another guy who was into bouldering and, mm-hmm. and, and that mm-hmm. local guy who's into bouldering, like a local dude from now, from now chicks who, who loved bouldering. Like he, he started going out there and, and discovered, uh, um, just tons of boulders, like hundreds of thousands wow. of boulders. Um, wow. And yeah. And so like, they started developing and um, really, really strong climbers started coming down from different areas of Russia, from Mos- Moscow. And, and then there's just this group oh. of like local strong climbers who started um, just cleaning these boulders and um, climbing these boulders. And um, yeah, by the time I left, there's well over 300 established boulder problems or like boulder routes. Wow. So, yeah. So w- what happens... Um, first of all, that must be really thrilling because in the U.S. there are going to be very few places where you get to quote discover routes. I mean, you could def- there's definitely still route creation, definitely. But you know, when you go to a known place to climb, it's known, you know, and regulated usually, and all this. So that must have been really cool for you and for the others involved. But then. Like, where does it go from there? What are the main avenues that this new knowledge is hmm. is spread throughout the climbing community? Does it be, result in guides being written or, you know, is it is it word of mouth? Like, what, what happens? Yeah, so a few things. A lot, like, a lot of the routes have been put into um, uh, online resource call, called All Climb. Um, Mm -hmm. and then there's another one called 27 Craigs. So check that out. All the climbs are there. Um, it's kind of like a mountain project. If you know what that is. Sure. Uh, I use mountain project. Yeah. yeah. So summit post is another one. Yeah. So people entered all the, the routes into, to some of those resources. Oh man, that's awesome. And then, um, yeah, uh, they started putting on competitions and so, Nice. Yeah, it wasn't every year, but um, over over the last five years, they've probably done three or four outdoor climbing competitions. Huh. So, so is this like the Republic of Cupertino-Balcaria kind of sponsoring it at a state level, or is it more just climbing clubs? Yeah, more exclusive. Two thousand nineteen and two thousand twenty, um, a guy in Moscow or two lo- a guy in Moscow and a local guy from Nalchik organized the event in 
partnership with Onsite. Um, okay. And then oh. sort of like in partnership with like a few other, um, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, local governments and things like that as well. But So were you able to be part of a competition or some of, you said that you were out there and by the time you left, there were all these new new problems established. So were you into that? Yeah, so I've, I've just See? helped a lot with the organization of it all. And so, yeah, being with Onsite, um, I was one of the organizers and then, yeah, I did a lot of the, the prep work, building trails so- and clean boulders and stuff like that, so... What's your preferred kind of climbing and at what level? Uh, rope climbing and then, so like lead climbing, rope climbing. Um, yeah, I'd probably climb 510 on trad. So you can lead a 510? Yeah, maybe harder. Like, I mean, it just kind of depends. I haven't really tried or pushed hard on trad, traditional climbing. Um, That's super cool. And then like sport climbing, which is a different style of climbing. Um, sorry, I could like, yeah, we could spend a little bit more time explaining the different types <laughs> of climbing. No, 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 um, it's okay. I'm just but, curious. Yeah, sport climbing. Um, I've been climbing like five twelve, basically. Haven't really gotten so any thing harder than that. So five twelve guys is when you like put the tip of your toe on a tiny little thing that to the you know to the average viewer doesn't exist, and then like. And you put your tips of your fingers on a tiny other thing that ah. you can't really see, and then you like go up what looks to everyone else like a pretty polished marble face. So I'm curious, Teddy, being involved in the creation of routes and in the climbing community in Russia, how what are some differences that you see between climbing community standards expectations in the Caucasus context versus your experience in the U S good question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) smiles. (laughs) It's more developed in the U S standards are more developed, which is we just, we have, we have a lot more resources here. Um, people are learning from institutions in the U S in Russia. People are learning from, their friends and so yeah so like oh. people might not learn um proper blade technique for example um sure. and so yeah so i would say and does that kind of answer the question like well yeah i mean i wonder and in your role there i mean in the u.s that happens too you go climb you know, kind of to vet your climbing partners and like is this someone who's has what's their experience but also how open are they to improving or correction or instruction. So I wonder, like, did you find yourself able, inclined to or able to kind of contribute in that way in, in training or instructing? Were you there as an instructor or were there people who were like, no, this is how we do it. Like, this is the best way. I always, I always use zip ties, you know, like leave me alone or something horrifying (laughs) like that. Um, Because those people exist everywhere. You know? Exactly. And, and that would be my response. Like, there's going to be people, there, there have been people who are like, they're accepting. Um, oftentimes, if I can back it up with a resource, <laughs> like Petzl instructional manual for how to use a Grigri, for example, like, if I can use, if I can like whip that out and be like, this is, uh, you know, this is, yeah. this is where okay. I learned this, oh, you know, like things like that are helpful. And, 
but generally people are pretty understanding because it's such a new sport. Like, cool. I think people know that they're learning from their friend, like they're yeah. learning from someone who might not know, but when, I, but if I'm able to come or someone who has like the knowledge or the experience can uh-huh. come and, and prove that, um, they're more likely to listen. So I, we got to stop on this one place. Lechinkai, did you say? Is that Lechinkai. Lechinkai, which is down into Chicken yeah. Valley and um, covered in a Bokoria. I have never heard of that place outside of you telling us about it right now, um, which typically in the <laughs> North Caucasus, um, you know, you see a lot of pictures on Instagram or posts or tourist routes where there's a lot of places to visit, but you've oft, often heard of them before. So my ears always perk up when I hear of a new place. Um, I mean, this is really fascinating to me. And I know in a previous conversation, you had mentioned to me, like, Lechinkai has the kind of potential to become like a, I don't know, kind of an off-the-beaten-path hidden gem of the international rock climbing community. Right. Um, can you speak more to that? Um, are international climbers coming there or is it just totally off the map right now for the rest of the world yeah there might be some climbers coming from like ukraine (laughs) or like Uh some neighboring countries but right outside of that no like kind of the russian-speaking world maybe knows about it yeah exactly um Uh and mostly just through the like the climbing the climbing world and um, people hearing about it through that. So, yeah. Wow. So, so if people go up there, I mean, is there any infrastructure or is it just, you get up there to those cliffs, you can see the laid out routes. <laughs> if you have your equipment, you could start climbing. Um, is there any place to stay or like literally it's just the rocks out there right now and you could start climbing. Yeah. That's pretty much it. I mean, wow. there's a, a village that is a village and it's just like 10 okay. minutes away. So I'm sure there's, Definitely not a hotel there to stay at, but I'm sure you could find someone someone to stay with. <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to look it up. I can't find it yet. That's so fascinating to me. Is it before? I'm just trying to get my head wrapped around it. Is it before the check-in waterfalls? Yeah. You turn off, or is it probably like gotcha. 15 miles, maybe before? Okay. Before. So is this? Uh, so this is like more kind of in Kabardian lands where Kabardian villages are, or is it deeper? Yeah. Yeah. I think Lechinkai is maybe one of the last Kabardian villages. Gotcha. Uh That's neat. So is it, would you say, uh, definitely in the Soviet union, uh, there was a strong kind of mountaineering climbing alpinism community. I think in Russia, that's pretty strong as well now. Um, what about there locally? Um, is that developing like specifically among kind of the local Kabardian Balkar, um, population? What do you see happening with that? Um, yeah, I think that there's always been, uh, probably a lot of people coming out of Nalchik who kind of fit the, the Alpine Elbrus guide sort of mold. Um, but as far as like, but that's, I mean, that's a pretty small percentage. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I would say it's, it's growing. It's yeah. 
Yeah, it's got to be the. I mean, even when you think about Mount Elbrus, I mean, a lot of the guides on the mountain, they're local Bolkar guys. Exactly. Because they grew up there. Um, they grew up there in the Baksan Valley. Um, so, yeah, proximity, I think, is important. Um, but yeah, that's neat. I mean, maybe that, yeah, maybe that could be like, it seems like it's trending the right direction for it to grow among popularity that local experts could start coming out of Nalchik or wherever it could be. Yeah. Yeah. What's your, what's your long-term hope for your personal investment? And I'll add to this, um, a not minor detail that your life situation changed three months ago, you said before the interview. Yeah. Yeah. So I got married. Just, uh, yeah. January 30th. So congratulations. It's yeah. awesome. So is your wife a climber? Yeah. She actually wasn't really a climber before we, we met, but she's, she's gotten into it and, um, she really likes it. Yeah. So it's cool. been fun to watch and her. Has she, has she spent any time in Russia or the Caucasus yet? Yeah, we met uh, over there. So she was studying in uh, St. Petersburg at a university. Wow. And oh. she like so happened to come down to Nalchik to visit. And we So met. if you're single and listening, this, this path to meeting a significant other is available to you. <laughs> we well, call I it mean, my wife and I Russian met dating. in Moscow. That's true. Met, Many years ago, before you and your wife, I'm the, um, I'm the outlier in this. Yeah, but it does happen. That's awesome. So, do you think you guys would like to return when the opportunity is available? Yeah, yeah. So, and so, yeah, I'm I'm curious what what's your long term vision for your involvement and for kind of the region and um, the climbing place? Do you see yourself continuing with on site, starting something new, you know, turning in other directions? And and I just say that knowing that when you're in a place, it's very easy for it to get under your skin and you start to really love it and it feels like home. And so, um, you know, that part I relate to. So, yeah, we want to live there. Um, so we, we want to get back as soon as we can. And uh, I think for now, I can pretty confidently say that I'll continue doing what I was doing at Onsite. Um, yeah, just consulting the business and, and trying to... Um, help it be more successful. Um, and so continue, continue doing that. And then, um, yeah, see, kind of see what happens from there. But yeah, my, my big dream and, and the, the dream of the guys who started on site is to see it um, successful, um, employing more people, growing mm-hmm. rock climbing, growing community. Um, would you guys ever expand or franchise or spread out other places? Maybe you can't speak. Yeah, I can't speak, speak to, that. to that, but okay. it'd be cool. <laughs> I don't know if we need well, to, though. Like, that's the thing about rock climbing in Russia. It's, it's blowing up. And so with, okay. with the, the, um, the Olympics and rock climbing being a, um, a sport in the Olympics now, like right. Russia cool. is kind of like, let's... I mean, and I think they've been trending in that direction for a while to, to start pumping right. money into climbing. Yeah. And so like Piatigors just, uh, they just built, I'm pretty sure it's there. They just built like a pretty nice facility. It's, I think it's outdoors, but, um, yes. they just got a ton of resources 
to put into that. That's actually oh, cool. that's actually part of the climbing club on the university campus. Yeah. That was the basement room. And for our last year in Pitygorsk, we saw this being constructed. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, nice, like, rubberized ground around it and this big, tall wall, and it, they were starting to get climbing with it. Um, but we, yeah, we even, there's a popular kind of kids' recreation center, you know, what do you call them? Bouncy, like trampoline park oh, yeah, yeah. is what it is, yeah. But this past year, they built a huge addition with climbing for kids. I mean, it's huge. Uh, so like my daughters did it, uh, last year and they hmm. loved it. Um, yeah, so I have, I definitely in the last two years, you're right. Clearly some money was invested locally because those two things kind of cropped up out of nowhere. I'll just say a little skeptically, and this is not particular to Russia. The U S is the same thing. I wonder I, when, when it, because it is trending, I, I do feel like there are some who would just like to have a climbing wall, meaning like stick some of those things on the wall that people climb on. And there's, there's not any professionalism to it or, you know, you don't have people who kind of know the technique or theory or whatever, and are actually teaching climbing and that, you know, it's fine, but it's a bit more like a playground uh, accessory than, uh, you know, some, something for people to develop in climbing. And that may be asking a lot. Um, I don't know, Teddy, you're nodding a little bit. Do you, do you see that or you see well, it differently? Yeah, I just think that there's different, there's um, just like different products. Like there's, uh, you know, a, a, a climbing gym that's just like a ton of holds on a wall, really steep, you know, some training equipment maybe. And, and that's like, that's for a very specific right. demographic of people. And then there's, um, something maybe more like onsite or a lot of the gyms in the U S where it's, it's a commercialized facility. It's like they're, they're creating a product for people to be able to come in, feel comfortable, climb mm-hmm. anything, um, huh. meet many def- demographics, um, rather than just like, just like the holds on the wall for like the strong climbers to get stronger or yes. like the, the playground kind of thing. So, so it's just like different. Um, I think it's just each gym is going to be creating a different product. Um, okay. So cool. Yeah. Makes sense. That's neat. Well, we've, we've mainly talked about uh, climbing on this episode, but so you ended up living, I, I guess around two and a half years mm-hmm. there in Cabardino Bulcaria. Uh, tell us a little, like what were some more of your impressions as far as related to the local people, the local culture? What are kind of some things you've really enjoyed living there other than, um, undiscovered, uh, 200 feet high cliffs. Um, I mean, like the hospitality of the people, um, the friends that I would meet, just like the ways that they would invite me into their homes and, um, Hmm uh, feed me. (laughs) Um, yeah, just like it, it it was really not that it's all about food, but there's just something really special about, um, getting to know my friends and their families and, um, that I, yeah, I I just felt really honored and, um, like that, the hospitality piece was, was just really strong. Um, 
Yeah, I so I lived with a couple of local guys for pretty much the entire time. And it was tons of fun. Um, like in, That's cool. in That's yeah, awesome. like in so many ways, it was like, there's, they're different than me, right? Like cultural differences. Um, but at the same time, like we like a bunch of bachelors living together. And, and so, yeah, like <laughs> it, it's, it's this, like it, it's the same, um, here in the U S as it would That's be there. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was so much fun. Um, so yeah, as far as other impressions, neat, man. I I just loved like getting out into the mountains, loved how close Nalchik was to, um, mm. the, the Caucasus mountains and in an hour and a half to two hours, like you could be in some of the most beautiful places in the world. And yes. so. yeah, Nalchik is unique in that every direction you look there are mountains. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you fit, you're, you're right there. Um, that's cool, man. Um, well, we, oh, one thing I wanted to say to our listeners, then we're going to wrap this up. Correct me if I'm wrong, Teddy, but isn't Elbrus Elevation, who we've had on the show before, don't they offer a rock climbing trip in partnership with OnSite for people who want to get into some of these more off the beaten path places? Yeah. Yes. So we've yeah. done, we've done okay. like one or two of those since when I lived there. I think they okay. did more in the past, so, but. Yeah. Okay. I I want to put that out there just because like I know there's a whole really industry of companies or yeah. guides who are looking for places like that that are undiscovered, pretty mm. untouched to to take small groups of climbers. So if that is something that interests you, you can either reach out to us or maybe directly to even the Elbrus Elevation um who could kind of help coordinate the logistics. Um but yeah, that would be I think that I mean, there's probably a lot of climbing companies out there in the West who are looking for places actively like Lechinkai, you know, so that could be neat to see that start to develop slowly. So listeners, now you've got the personal contact through us, of course, (laughs) when you want to go do some kind of cutting edge, uh, undeveloped wilderness climbing, just a few, not even a few hours from, from your hostel. In Nalchik, I mean that's that's a that's pretty uh, appealing to me. Yeah, yeah, that's really awesome. Um, well, Teddy, you may have already uh, answered this question, but let, let's see if we can uh, dig something dig something else out here. Um, if there's one thing you could tell the world about the North Caucasus, what would it be? <laughs> oh, was that one of the questions you you put on here? <laughs> I didn't see that one. Take your time. <laughs> Yeah, so we like to end all of our uh, all of our interviews with this with this one. One thing to tell the world about the North Caucasus. No, you've got a unique perspective. You lived there, kind of were part of this rock climbing world. But what do they need to know? Hmm. Yeah, I think that. I would just want people to know that it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a safe place that I think anyone in the world could go to and, um, yeah, meet really amazing people, part of a really amazing culture and, and see just some of the most beautiful places in the world. So I think that's, that's what I'd want people to know um, about the caucuses. Yeah. 
So good word. Yeah. Love it. And good food too. Amazing food. Amazing food. Yeah. So yeah. Awesome. Well, Eli, uh, I think you, uh, I think you've got a trip here to be planned. This is right up your alley. Well, I mean, I'm a, yeah. Let me get in shape. (laughs) Let me get in shape. My kids want me to, now it's warmed up here and they, they want me to get out on the wall with them, which I plan to do next week, actually. Um, but man, I would love, just love to come to some of these places. I mean, that's one, I know this is not my interview, but like when it comes to climbing, one of the things, actually, let me just encourage listeners. If some people are like, I don't climb, I'm checking out. It is, it just isn't like that. It's such a community event. Everyone has something that they can, can do and will benefit from. There's so much you learn about yourself and you learn teamwork. It's great for kids. It's great for grownups. It's, and it's beautiful. You just get to be out, you know, you're outdoors and we'll go to a crag and our kids just busy themselves with, you know, exploring and playing around while whoever's on the wall. So it's a really great sport that has a bad rap, I think in the U S as just sort of for the people who have like, you know, half a brain missing and, you know, yeah, nothing to lose. Yeah. That kind of thing. It isn't that at all. So don't, don't write this out. Um, when, when you, if you, when you plan your Caucasus trip, <laughs> <laughs> listeners, it's very welcoming and we, we encourage you to, to consider it. So yeah, we, we definitely as a family need to make some plans to spend some time there when we get back, when we get back. And I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll be very soon. So listeners, that's for you too. As you know, we want you to come and experience this for yourself. Teddy is waiting his with his new wife. They'll um, that we need to do a follow up interview. You know, like three months <laughs> after they get back, he's like, "So, how's yeah. married life in the North Caucasus?" That'll be a good one, definitely. And get your wife on there too, as as a new climber, and get her impressions. But listeners, please don't be shy. Reach out to us. You can email us at podcast at caucustalk.com find us on facebook andrew is on twitter with a following of several handfuls maybe of people he's becoming a false. major micro influencer and um and you can find us on patreon as well we uh, appreciate that we'll have links in the show note for our book that we featured how to live to be 100 <laughs> of course um the on-site website and uh, Teddy, any other contact for you? I mean, do you do you want people to follow you on on Instagram or anything like that? Do you have a feed that we can follow? No, thanks. No. <laughs> Teddy, make sure we get from you. You mentioned those sites, maybe Mountain Project or Summit Post or some of them. All Climb but and 12 Crags, yeah. It's 27 Crags. Oh, no wonder I couldn't Two find seven. the website. And, I mean, that would be a great resource. That's in English, correct? Or in Russian? English, Russian, um, those yeah. are more of like the international, so a, it's like the international yeah. version of, of Mountain Project. So Let, Let's get that in the show notes. I got them. That's just a great kind of transition to pass that information off to our guests. Teddy, thank you for joining us. This was awesome. No thank you guys. Listeners, we will see you guys on the wall when you get here.